Welcome to season two of the Pre-Hospital Care podcast on the Medics Academy Network. Our guest this week is Zoe Hitchcock, a cardiac arrest survivor to talk about her experience. Now here's your host, Owen Walker. So welcome guys to the Pre-Hospital Care podcast. Um, I'm here today with a very special friend, um, and colleague. Um, so this is part of uh, a stream of episodes where we get to uh, interview ex-patients and patients um, that, that have experienced pre-hospital care um, within their lifetime from, from, from a patient perspective. And I believe these to be really powerful as far as uh, re- what it really does is it really illustrates the other side of what we do and uh, from a very unique perspective. So welcome this morning, Zoe, onto the podcast. Thank you, thank you so much for inviting me to come along and chat to you today. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. So me and Zoe have uh, known each other now for, it's going on five years now, I think. Five, yeah, five and a half, yeah. Five and a half years. Yeah. Um, and so we've done a number of speaking engagements together, haven't we? Um, we have. Spoken at, at, at some of the World Extreme Medicine um, Conference and a, yeah. few the, uh, a few of the instances, so which has been, which has been great. Um, so what we really want to do today, Zoe, is really just tell your story and then I think link it in with um, some of my reflections on, 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 on what, what happened yeah. on that day in, 2000, in June 2013. So um, I, think we just, I think the best thing to do is really start at the start. So if you could just take us through, yeah, what, what happened? Sure, so it's actually probably easiest if I kind of go back yeah. to um, maybe six months before. Yeah. Um, Phil, my husband, who you know, um, and I would just got married and life was really good and we kind of entered 2013 really excited for all that lay ahead. And then I went through a bit of a review at work, working for the police, we were hit by government cuts and I was under quite a bit of stress with that. Um, for a good few months actually, but was fortunate enough um, to, within the department, um, be two out of five who got to to keep their job. And um, coming into April time, um, I found out that I was going to keep my job and my role was switched. And as a result of my role being switched, I found myself in London on that fateful day. So I kind of believe that, um, I definitely believe that everything happens for a reason, but I really do believe that I was meant to be where I was that day, because had I not gone through that difficult period um, at the beginning of the year, I never would have found myself in in London and the outcome actually could have been quite different. Um, I'm 34 now, but at the time I was 29 fit I would say you know like to work out look after myself very healthy all in balance though um like to enjoy myself as well um occasionally you know go a bit mad at the weekends drink too much like people do um but yeah always quite sensible actually with um with choices and lifestyle um so the day itself um I'd actually gone to London for this work meeting um not too far from here actually I started out the day at Wood Street and I don't really remember much about what happened I um been to the meeting I remember a, a conversation maybe just before I left I've got a vague recollection of that and um I then caught the tube to Oxford Street I left a colleague and my intention that day was to go to Oxford Street because 
Phil's birthday was coming up and I really wanted to get him these Air Jordan trainers which had been re-released. Um, he'd wanted them since he was um, like 13 and he can, you know, his parents can afford them then because they're ridiculously expensive but he was, um, yeah, coming up to a birthday and they'd been re-released and I knew he really wanted them and it would make him super happy so I travelled to Oxford Street and with the intention of going to Foot Locker to get them for him. Um, I don't know what happened um, f from a point of view of remembering. I don't remember at all. Um, I think in some ways my brain's almost tried to protect me in the way that I've completely erased, forgotten um, what probably were quite panicked moments um, by what happened. But um, I know from witness accounts, um, I've been really fortunate actually that I've been able to piece together because that's really helped me um, in my in my journey to understand what did take place that day. Yeah, so really powerful, I suppose, because so um, I think a real key to all, just one of, I suppose, your life's really key moments, really, wasn't it? Um, mm, so Zoe suffered from a uh, ventricular fibrillation, I can't even say that word, VF, <laughs> cardiac arrest uh, on Oxford Street. Um, and it was, I think it was, it was roughly around 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, was it on? Yeah, so it was, um, I mean, I do know that it was a beautiful day, you know, it was a, a June day, blue skies, sunshine, and apparently witnesses have said, um, I was kind of like striding, striding along and um, crossed the road, and then literally, that was it, I just collapsed, and quite fortunately, actually, I collapsed onto um, two ladies wow. who were out shopping on Oxford Street wow. with their teenage daughters. They were there to buy their prom dresses. And so they caught me. I was lucky that I didn't kind of like whack my head as I fell. Yeah. And they immediately thought that because it was a hot day, maybe I'd fainted, a little bit dehydrated, too warm. So they put me in the recovery position and a gentleman who was passing, a really lovely man called Andrew, he stopped and looked over me and said, is she okay? And very quickly realized that I wasn't because my lips had started to turn blue and I was starting to gasp for breath. And he recognised immediately that I needed CPR. But the amazing thing about him is that he had never had any first aid training. He'd seen the British Heart Foundation um, advert that Vinnie Jones had done, the staying alive. And um, so literally just started giving me CPR to the tune of, of staying alive. And um, it's amazing actually that he stopped in that moment and um, helped me in the way that he did because I can imagine that it must have been quite a frightening situation for him um, coming across me in, in that way and knowing that I needed help. Yeah. I then um, was helped by another amazing guy called Carl who was cycling to work that day on um, New Bond Street. And the interesting thing about Carl is, um, I think I've told you this before, but he worked for a company called Bally Shoes and they're linked to Jimmy Choo. Oh, wow. And I absolutely love shoes. As Phil will tell you, I've got a bit of a shoe addiction. And so I kind of feel like he was a massive sign that it wasn't my time because all of a sudden out of nowhere, Mr. Jimmy Choo <laughs> turned up to help <laughs> save my life. Um, and incredibly, he was cycling to work because he had signed up to do the British Heart Foundation um, London to Paris. Um, charity cycle ride. Yeah. So there's a bit of a heart connection there, which again I feel is a bit of a sign. 
And he had been knocked off his bike a few days before, had a broken wrist, but did not hesitate to step up and say, do you need some help? I, I know how to give CPR, let me take over. Mm. And he took over with a broken wrist before um, two other people stepped forward. What happened, because we were on Oxford Street, as you know, you know, it's, it's one of the busiest streets in London, so very quickly um, people started to, to form a crowd. Where I collapsed was actually opposite House of Fraser, near John Lewis, right outside Pullen Bear, as you know. And so um, it very quickly caught the attention of a lot of people passing by that day. And for that reason, um, the, the crowd forming, um, it, it attracted so much attention that um, quite fortunately for me, an, 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 an off-duty nurse um, and a, an Egyptian doctor who was actually on holiday from Egypt stepped out to, um, to help me. The Egyptian doctor actually, I've been told, was um, quite old school in his techniques because one of the things he asked one of the members of the public to do and um, to help me was to um, quite vigorously move my legs backwards and forwards um, to try and get the blood circulating around my body while I was being given CPR. And the poor guy who helped him, um, this really lovely man called Steve, he and his wife were actually on Oxford Street that day. I don't know if I've told you this before, because he'd been to hospital that morning um, and he'd been given a terminal cancer diagnosis. Wow and had been told that he didn't have very long to live. Wow. And they decided to go to Oxford Street to cheer themselves up. And here they were coming across me. This is wow. gonna make me emotional, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. And so he, even though they'd had like the worst news that morning, he did not hesitate for one moment mm. to try and help me all that he could. And he was one of the first people to make the 909 call. Wow. And he then stood there and, you know, moved me, got my legs moving in the way he did, absolutely listening to everything the doctor said to do to try and help me. And um, very amazingly, um, I mean, I said a lot of prayers for everyone that helped save me, but in particular for, for Steve and his health. health and amazingly, um, he's actually in remission, wow. five and a half years on. He is, you know, living life and making the most of it. And I just feel, yeah, completely blessed, really, that he stopped to help me that day and that he's still here to, uh, to live his life. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's really quite powerful stuff. I think anyone who's been through something like I've been through will feel that their story is so special. But really, for me, like, I couldn't have, you know... For one, I couldn't have picked more amazing people to have helped save my life that day, but the way that the events unfolded, I mean, you couldn't write this stuff. Like, for me, it just all feels like so beautifully fated. It was definitely written in the stars, I think. Um, and I'm just so pleased, God, that he's, you know, that he's okay. Um, mm. So yeah, so poor Steve was there um, vigorously moving my legs back and forwards and by now the crowd was, was quite, um, quite deep and there were about sort of 30, 40 people I think who had circled around and they caught the attention of two undercover police officers who were across the road. They were doing um, undercover pickpocket um, patrols outside John Lewis 
they saw the crowd, thought what's going on over there, made their way across and quite quickly um, saw me and realised what was happening. Um, the two officers, um, Nigel and Tim, took over CPR. And Tim, um, I mean, thank God he was there. He had been in the army. Um, so not only was his first aid training second to none, but so was his stamina. And by God, did I need that. And he gave me um, 30 chest compressions, two breaths, and noticed that um, it was almost like I was trying to clear my airway, he said, because um, I started to splatter. I was wearing a white shirt that day and um, I'd splattered some blood out onto my shirt. And so he thought, you know, signs of life, let's put her in the recovery position, which he did. But my heart had stopped. So he went back and gave me again 30 chest compressions, two breaths, and the same thing happened. He put me in the recovery position and he did that another five or six times um, before the before the, the defibrillator um, turned up. And I mean, I'll let you carry on the story from here, but um, you know, just wanna say, I am just so, I, I can't explain it really. I do know, had you not have got to me that day as quickly as you got to me, had you not have been on a bike, had you not have been where you were in those moments when that call came through, I might not be sitting here now to tell this story. Um, I've already said, you know, I could not have, just could not have picked like more incredible, like beautiful people to have helped save my life. But I just feel so incredibly blessed that you came to me when I needed you most that day to give me that shock to deal with a crowd because you know, from the witness statements I've been given, I've just been told how volatile actually the crowd were. They, was, they were seeing me dying in front of them and felt like not enough was being done to help me. So I just thank God that it was you that, that turned up to help me. I'm so grateful to you. Oh, Zoe, yeah. So it was more than a pleasure. And I could never in my wildest dreams imagine sort of talking to you about it sort of five and a half years on. and. Consequently, after the event, um, it's being such sort of celebrating your life really um, through some amazing times. So, yeah, just to pick up the story from where you left off, um, I was the first one to, to get to you um, on, like you said, on a push bike. And you're, you're so right, it was a very frenetic scene. Um, uh, never have I cycled, I was on a push bike on the day as a paramedic on a mm. push bike, and never have I cycled down Oxford Street where all the buses have stopped, all the cars have stopped. The whole street had stopped and was waving me towards you because I think people realised the gravity of the situation. Um, and God, even just hearing that, I mean, I know Oxford Street so well, yeah. and just imagining like Oxford Street pretty much like at a standstill. At a complete standstill, yeah. absolutely. And getting off my push bike at the time, um, I think I had to really de-escalate myself and just slide into work mode because it was it was so stressful. I think had I not been part of the HEMS service and seen some very uh, some very stressful um, scenes in the past, I would have probably had more of a stress reaction myself, but managed to, to sort of recalibrate myself and sort of get into work mode quite quickly because it was quite, it, it was really difficult coming to you actually, I think. Mm. Um, it was really difficult because uh, you had a lot of blood coming out of your airway at the time when I got to you. Like you said, the crowd was five or six deep. 
um, I think everyone was extremely well intentioned, but 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 quite uh, very scared mm. because it looked pretty horrendous. You were there, obviously, with blood coming out of your mouth in cardiac arrest, um, and and people understandably just extremely concerned mm. and so just to really systematize things and get things underway so just to just to just to try and get your heart started as quickly as we could but to address the problems as quickly as we could and and calm the crowd down because I think some one thing I've learned is really sometimes you have to slow down to speed up and I, um, I really wanted to do the best for you whilst utilizing the people around as well so I it was a really emotive scene actually and I certainly felt the gravity of that when mm. when, when, I, when I got to you and quite quickly I think what after I got to you um, some a lot more resources turned up so another paramedic turned up pretty much straight after me another ambulance and then another ambulance um, so it was quite a one of the things about that day, just listening to, to, to what you say as well, it may not have been the same had you not been on Oxford Street. Oh, completely. And I totally agree with you. I think some things in life, I think, <laughs> so, not to sound too fatist, but I, I, I think things happen are meant to happen for a reason. Yeah. And I think for a reason everything happened yeah. in, in complete yeah. order for you. I could and have been on the train heading, I could have not gone there to get those trainers, I could have been on the train heading home, you know, I could have, it wouldn't have been a busy time of day on the train, someone could have got on and just thought I was asleep, you know, if I had have fallen into cardiac arrest then, um, if I'd have collapsed in Welling Garden City in Hertfordshire where I live, the, the resources um, there, you, you know, that I was treated with on that day um, might not have been available to me. Um, so, yeah, really so thankful yeah. and blessed to have been where I was on that, on that day. One of the things, actually, to mention, um, my family um, were told, and they will move on to that, but when actually um, they were told in, in the immediate kind of few hours about what happened, um, they were made aware that there'd been quite a lot of video recording um, at the time, um, which is quite sickening in some ways actually that people pulled out their, their phones and were recording what, what was taking place before them. But my family were really comforted to know um, that blankets were held up while I was being treated by you, you know, after you'd arrived and kind of taken control of the scene um, to try and give me some dignity why you know I lay there kind of covered in blood top naked on Oxford Street um, sort of being given CPR getting a shock and um, that whatever happened my family would not if anything was put online they were not going to see that um, so yeah that was that was very comforting to yeah, them definitely so um so I I think that's the, the utmost was as was like you said not only your privacy but also um, just really making sure everything was squared away really so from 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 trying to restart your heart to clearing your airway to really getting like we've done consequentially a really good picture of what happened on the lead up um, to your cardiac arrest mm -hmm. so yeah so we put the pads on uh, onto your chest and it was clear you were in vf ventricular fibrillation um, so once that was the case we uh, we managed to shock your heart out of out of VF into 
into a perfusing rhythm and into beating again. And I think your heart wanted to beat, and that sounds, it doesn't sound, sound strange actually, it sounds very perfectly reasonable, but uh, sometimes I think when people have got different things wrong with the heart, it's sometimes very difficult to get the heart out of VF, but your heart certainly, after one shock, came straight back sort of to life, which was, which was almost a relief, but also, well, it was a massive relief, but there was also a lot of challenges with your airway mm. and just trying to secure a breathing tube into your airway because um, there's so much blood coming out of your airway. Um, and then consequentially, um, I think because you were so, you'd been without oxygen, so quite hypoxic for yeah. a while, you, there was a certain level of agitation. So you became quite agitated, uh, understandably, because you'd not been breathing for, I think, at least 10 minutes. Mm. I think we worked out. Um, but you'd had people breathing for you, which is, which is great, but it never supplements breathing for yourself. Yeah. Um, so it was really challenging, but I could, we could already see really positive signs. And so I think from, from, the, from the time we, we managed to get your heart beating again and put the breathing tube in you, um, it was, um, and then we did a quick um, 12 lead ECG just to try and understand what was happening. Um, and then it was apparent that you're becoming quite agitated because of the lack of oxygen. So we gave you, we were giving you more oxygen, but it, trying to get that, get that balance from the yeah. last 20, 10 minutes. So I think at that point we'd, we decided to uh, call for London's Air Ambulance. So I think on the physician response unit, Gareth um, Davis was on, uh, and and a chap a colleague called uh, Nick, Nick Harding. Nick yeah. Harding was there, and they were out quite uniquely, weren't they, with a BBC camera crew? They were um, making a program called An Hour to Save Your Life. Yeah. So they managed to capture everything from there on in. Yeah. Which I think what we're going to try and do is link that to this podcast because I think that's an, ama- an amazing pictorial. Um, sort of pictorial example of of, of, of what exactly happened mm-hmm. and, and the scene itself uh, and the scene, and you can see yourself in the back of the ambulance yeah. and, and, and how how they delivered an anaesthetic to you um, and then the consequential interview with you yeah but I think what did it did that piece did that was that quite it's a healing for you but did that it did massively helped me join the dots yeah it really helped in understanding what had happened that day and also I tried not to think too much about what had actually taken place I just tried to look forward um but there were you know moments where I I would think and imagine for myself what it must have been like and when I did imagine it um there was a lot of horror um and trauma around that that imagined picture and what I saw on that footage, um, the way I was treated in the back of the ambulance, completely changed that for me, because it was so overwhelming actually to see how calm and collected and how synchronised both yourself and Gareth Davies were in treating me, um, and it just it just brought home more than ever um, how lucky and fortunate I am to have had you there um, and, and he also um, in, in treating me and giving me the best treatment actually that I could have had, the best chance of surviving um, before, before I got to hospital. Yeah. One of the things Gareth had said actually is that um, when he looked into my eyes when he got there my pupils were so dilated like you see either in someone who is dead or brain damaged. Um, which is a real scary thought, but I 
firmly believe that because of the chain of events being what they were, you know, getting good CPR, um, in particular from Tim, I mean, by God, he was amazing to have, to have given me CPR um, for as long as he did. Um, and then, you know, getting the all-needed defibrillator shock um, and then the cooling agent. Um, I really do feel, feel that was a, the big factor yeah. that, yeah. Um, that London's Air Ambulance treated me with. Um, yeah, I think is very much why I'm kind of able to sit here, here now and, and speak to you in the way that Absolutely, I am. Absolutely, Zoe. And I think it's really pictorial of, or just a real good, uh, great example of, of a good teamwork, just good system approach. Because it was never just my effort or it never was Tim's effort, it was never Gareth's effort, it was, the, I think, the joined up care. Yeah. Really, um, from, the, from, the, from the moment you collapsed. And, and even, you know, the first bystanders. Um, and the video we're going to link it to, uh, there's a couple of videos actually that have been made consequently, hasn't there? There's yeah. the, the, the Circle Response Unit video, and then the BBC, which was which was fantastic. And then, and so I think we're going to try and link both to the podcast, so that there's just a good holistic yeah. perspective because yeah. I think it's it's a powerful story, Zoe. And 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 then so my recollection, so very emotive, very very stressful, but but. I waved goodbye to you from the ambulance. I think Gareth and, and Nick took you with the ambulance crew to, to, to the hospital um, to, to to treat your ongoing care. Yeah, so when I was taken to St Mary's um, at that time, um, especially because of my young age, um, they really weren't sure if it was my head or my heart that had caused what happened. So I was taken to St Mary's. Paddington um, for um, sort of further treatment um, and some investigation if I survived to that point because I was um, stable but quite critical um, and oh God I think the hardest thing actually the hardest thing for me about everything that happened that day is thinking about what my family were doing in those moments when I was being treated in the ambulance. They were just going about their day completely normally, um, not knowing what was about to, to hit them. And that for me is something that I really do struggle with. Because fortunately for me, I've not had to experience any of the pain or the trauma really that they went through in those hours, in those first few days, but it's quite painful for me to think about what they went through. Um, but yeah, um, so I was taken to St Mary's and um, because I was working for the police at the time, um, I was in police staff role and I had my ID on me, they were able to quite quickly notify um, my home force, Hertfordshire, um, about what happened and they sent a car round to my husband and also to my parents um, to pick them up and bring them very quickly to London. And they were actually brought on blues and twos. Um, and the, the reason for that is because um, I was deemed to be so critical. I think they didn't know if they were bringing them to maybe say goodbye to me in, in my final moments. Um, and you know, Phil, like he, when he got that phone call, God, he was so, I think he might have said this to you before, but um, they'd phoned ahead to say, don't be alarmed, <laughs> we're sending a car around, um, Zoe's had an accident, and he was like, 
what do you mean what's happened and they said we don't know all we know is we need to get you there as soon as we can and his immediate thoughts were that I'd probably been hit by a train um, again because he didn't know I was going to Oxford Street and um, he thought I would have been heading home around that time I learned a big lesson that day to always tell him yeah, <laughs> where I'm going be. yeah massively um, and when the police officers turned up he was in such shock that he said to them I just need to make a coffee <laughs> and they were thinking like come on we'd like need to get you there but he was so like yeah in the shock of the moment that he made a coffee <laughs> I just need to put a kettle on <laughs> yeah. just hold your, hold your horses he does love a caffeine hit oh, so um, oh. yeah so but it was really yeah it was really kind of like touch and go so he he was brought to he was brought to St Mary's Paddington uh, as was my mum and when they got there um they were taken to the relatives room and you know we've all seen those programs where if you're taken to the relatives room it's not good and there probably isn't going to be a good outcome and he remembers um someone in an orange suit which would have been Gareth and he you know he knows now that it was Gareth um coming to speak to him to tell him what what had happened and and how I was and um what the next few hours might might bring and um, he doesn't remember a single thing about what Gareth said to him that day he just remembers his orange suit and dropping to his knees um, I mean you know Phil he's six foot four you know he's not a small guy but literally just like crumbling um, before Gareth's eyes really mm. with the news that he was with the news that he was given um, it was just so unexpected and everyone said that afterwards you know, I was so fit, I was so healthy. Um, if anyone could have picked anybody who that might have happened to, they never would have picked, they never would have picked me. Well, yeah, it's really, yeah, absolutely. And it's a real, you know, it, I think it joins the dots, not only for me, but for a lot of other people listening to this regarding um, celebrating the wins, celebrating um, your life really because it's real evidence of a of joined up care working well and getting your heart restarted and celebrating your life ever since that that moment um because there's so much to lose yeah completely uh, and, and now consequently so much to gain um and so i received a phone call a few days later from one of my colleagues who wasn't nick actually it was another colleague he said so listen, Owen, you've got to listen. You've got to get down to Hammersmith Hospital. Um, she's alive. And I said, Hold on, Steve, who's alive? What's what? Zoe, Zoe Hitchcock is alive, and she's in hospital, and she's doing well. You've got to go see her. So I was like, Oh my gosh! So um, put the phone down quite quickly. Uh, I think I was at work at the time, and then worked out quickly my next day off, um, and then uh, then came down to came down to see you. In, in Hammersmith Hospital. Now, I think when I, oh, I, I it's not I think, I, I remember this quite clearly, came into the ward, I think at the cardiac care ward at, at Hammersmith, and introduced myself to the, to the nursing staff and the, and, the, and the doctors, and said, look, I'm, my name's Owen Walker, gave a bit of background, and, and said, yeah, absolutely fine, she's just in this side room, just, just go and see her. Um, um, and 
and then I think I'd said to the doctor that I was a, I was a paramedic, so they weren't really, and that I was the first paramedic on scene, and they quickly wanted to understand again the story, again yeah. what happened, um, what your heart rhythm was, and how long you were in VF4. Um, and then your mum came out of the room and quite, I think, was privy to that conversation quite quickly and then gave me the biggest hug and then sort of started crying yeah. on my shoulder, yeah. which then almost made me start to cry <laughs> and, then we, and then made the doctor start to oh. tear up. So we're all three of us and I was really just, re I had to bite my tongue to not cry um, and then the, 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 the doctor sort of had a tear in her eye. And um, it was just, a, I was like, oh, this is too much. <laughs> it, was, it, was all, it was all just a bit, it was all a bit too much. So I, I kind of, I think, gathered myself and, 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 and really lovely to meet your mum and just had a quick conversation with her. Then came in to see you, actually. So came into the, to, to the, to the room to see you. And I think very much at that time, I mean, you, you, you can articulate better than I can. I think you were just, there was there was a lot of memory loss. In fact, I don't think you said you remember. Yeah, I don't actually remember that. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, don't remember that first yeah. meeting. So I'd had three days in the coma, and day two I was transferred to Hammersmith because by then they'd identified that it wasn't my head, it was my heart. And um, yeah, so day three they brought me round, and I was brought round quite quickly um, from the coma and. Um, lots of crashing and banging around, couldn't at that point actually make any um, make any sense really. Um, I couldn't shape my mouth to speak, um, much to my mum's horror because um, my family at that point were thinking, it's amazing that she's woken up, but my God, she's, you know, this she's brain damaged and this is what life is, is gonna be like for now and um, they were never told unfortunately that what they saw in those first few hours might not be how I how I stayed um, but actually you know as the hours passed I was able to communicate and feel um, because I couldn't speak he'd said to me um, if you love me um, blink so I blinked and he knew then that I could understand him but just to make real sure he was like if you love me blink Blink really hard, blink twice. And I blinked twice back at him and he knew then that I was in there. And by the evening um, that day, yeah, I was kind of like starting to come back and with a bit more rest, I was okay. But again, I think to protect my brain, I did suffer with post-traumatic amnesia. So those very early moments after first coming out of my coma, I have no recollection at all. And when I look back now at that time, um, at Hammersmith, um, it sounds quite weird to say, but I look back on it with really fond memories because the care was absolutely five star. I mean, the, the nurses, the doctors, um, the lunch lady, you know, absolutely every single person that I came into contact with there was, in, they were amazing. They could not have, I could not have been treated better than I was. And it made the experience, um, less difficult than it would have been actually and I think also the fact that my mum she did not leave my bedside um, she slept at the end of my bed for two weeks in a chair um, so my every waking moment she was there and that really helped instill a lot of positivity in me but it also took away a lot of fear 
um, because she was able just to um, reassure me whenever I needed it. And you know, I, I didn't kind of like come out of the coma and spring back. Um, there was a lot of rehabilitation to, to start with. Pain, oh yeah, I was really, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the CPR, um, you know, had been quite hard going and um, I had a lot of rib pain from that. I'd actually pushed two of my ribs together. And again, not complaining at all. I'm, you know, I'm very glad that that happened. But yeah, it did make it quite quite painful. Um, and then I had um, towards the end of um, my stay in hospital. Actually, it was two days before I I left because I was there for two weeks. Um, I had an implantable cardioverter defibrillator fitted, an ICD which works quite similar to pacemaker. It can pace my heart and it can also shock my heart if it gets into an arrhythmia really to try and shock it out of that. So. That was two days before I left hospital, and um, that took a little bit of getting used to as well, having something that felt quite alien there. In your chest, yeah. I was was so protective of it, whereas, you know, now I don't give it a second thought. It's just, it's part of me. It's, yeah, yeah, it's like a guardian angel, really, in in a lot of ways. So, um, don't think about it at all. But, yeah, it's, um, but so, yeah, like thinking back to that meeting I can't because I don't remember it I wish I did I really wish I did but I know it means and um, it meant and and still does actually an awful lot to my family that you and also Gareth had taken the time um in your personal time actually to to come in to come and see me um, and see see how I was doing to meet my family it meant a lot that they were able to thank you for for what you'd done and I know and many people listening to this will know that often with cardiac arrests and the outcome normally isn't good in the year that I had mine um, I mean I know there's normally about like 30,000 a year in the UK about hospital cardiac arrests and the survival rates in the UK then were 8.4 percent which actually is considered quite good Um, but to me was just shocking I did not realize that the survival rates were so low and to be one of the people in that 8.4% whose life was saved, you know, I don't take for granted at all um, what it means to be sat here today. It's a real, I mean, it's a real privilege to, to interview you today, to be honest, Zoe, and uh, I, uh, again, yeah, don't take that for granted either, actually, because I think it's a powerful reminder, and it was a powerful reminder for me at the time, actually, coming in to see you in hospital, of how how when these things work they work so well and it, it reminded me why I joined the job in the first place you know to take care of people and to, to look after people very much like yourself um, so we're going to talk a little bit about your re- rehabilitation um, I think and just a bit about the concept just just in, in the years ensuing after the yeah. after the after the cardiac arrest I think why so just to allude and probably just to bring it in uh, but not to labor on it why it means so much to me as well quite personally I had a um, uh, my sister-in-law died of um, a cardiac arrest at 27 years old in the gym uh, she just went into VF and um, I think the diagnosis may have been similar, similar-ish, but she she was di- consequently diagnosed with um, cardiac myopathy. Now I think the was well, so I so I know the outcome was very different from my sister-in-law. Um, she um, 
unfortunately terribly uh, died of a cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. um, th there was a defibrillator in the gym, in it was up in Sheffield, um, and um, the, the defibrillator was laid out but never put onto, uh, onto Catherine. And I had some really difficult times actually mm -hmm. with my brother, it, it was his wife, and um, has been a real, really difficult journey consequently. Um, seeing the other side, I think, of, a, of what is an amazing story for you, and then but seeing the other side where there's complete loss yeah. and coaxing, uh, coaxing, but co supporting and uh, counselling my brother through that time and dealing with my own grief mm -hmm. um, as well. Um, has been uh, was quite difficult and still is at moments but 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 I think with the process of time um, has, has, has become far easier I just but can't imagine what it must have been like knowing what my family went through in those those first few hours those first few days um, and the, the pain that they went through I cannot imagine yeah. what it must have been like for, yeah, for your brother and your, your family and Catherine's family are just yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah. unbearable. It was. It, I think unbearable is a good word actually. And initially, it was very difficult for Ronan. Um, I remember getting a phone call for him. I was actually at work as, as a paramedic, and um, um, on the push bike again. I think at the time, and he was crying on the phone. He never cries. And he's a. Um, I'm 39. He's 36, and I've never seen him cry, mm. uh, or heard him cry. And it would hurt. so to to answer the phone to my brother crying, I knew it was either mum or dad, or it was yeah. someone very close to us. And so, yeah, the so just some really difficult times. And then I think Ronan. So Ronan has consequently remarried, and has kids now, and I think can hopefully a bit more objectively put that in, 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 in a box as a period mm. of time. Um, but, but just quite a unique juncture for me because I get to celebrate. I, I, the 360 learning for me is seeing the loss quite closely with my brother, but then celebrating the gains from a very similar circumstance in a very different part of the, of the UK mm. and, and everything that comes with that. So, and then celebrating again for my brother as, as he's gathered his life back together. Um, but it's quite a unique, it's been quite a unique journey for me, um, seeing sort of both. And then I think for me coming on into critical care um, and having the last four years within a critical care role within London and seeing cardiac arrest patients on a daily basis. Mm. Um, so that, uh, and I've been able to objectify that a lot more as well, but it's been, it, it, it was really difficult and quite unique and uh, objectively managed to, I think managed to celebrate the wins um, from my brother's rehabilitation as well, yeah. because I think it's, it was much about his rehabilitation because it can, I think, such a pinnacle moment, such as fulfilling those few moments yeah. for, for your husband. Yeah. If things don't go well, I think the worst thing you would ever want is for a catastrophic event to then lead to another catastrophic, yeah. catastrophic yeah. event. Yeah. And so I think it was really just picking the pieces up and working with my brother, and he's done a fantastic job at, at, at coming through. Um, but, but to celebrate with both of you and get to know you guys so well and to get to celebrate your wins so well because it's, it's been a really 
I mean, so let's just talk about your rehabilitation and, and your journey because actually I think it, it, was, it really reframed your perspective, having known you and spoken to you, it's really reframed your perspective yeah. on, on life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I was always the sort of person before who tried to live life to the full, um, but definitely I've like, taken that to another level now. Um, and, you know, being a shoeaholic, said it was earlier, if I see the shoes, I want the shoes, I buy the shoes now. Um, so yeah it's changed my life in that way as well but I think you know more than anything it just makes you aware of the fact that you cannot take this life for granted you do not know what tomorrow will bring for you or for the ones you you love and care about most and for that reason you really have just got to live in the moment don't worry about yesterday don't worry about tomorrow just make the most of today and make sure that the people you love know that you love them you know don't ever I'm human like you know me and Phil we're married couple we live together we'll have a crossword we'll have an argument but we will like within a short space of time of having a little bicker make it up because life is too short not to and um, we'll normally make it up with either him trying to make me laugh or me trying to make him laugh and you know and then it's all it's all forgotten and that kind of is what what life should be about really and you know we again like like any couple you know we go through um challenges um fortunately not in our relationship because we're so i'm so blessed to have him as my husband he's an absolute rock and i could not be where i am today if it wasn't for him being by my side but you know stuff happens in life that you have to deal with some days you know things will things will happen that will be quite challenging but the grounding point for me is remembering back to that day and when I do that it doesn't matter what else any day throws at me I can get through it because I got through that day yeah. um, and also I'm here I might not have this life or you know I might not have this quality of life one of the things that Phil and I love doing together every year it's like it beats Christmas Day to me is buying our Christmas tree or buy a real Christmas tree and decorate it together and I love it put on Christmas songs mulled wine mince pies and um, the first year that we did that after my cardiac arrest it, you know, went and got the tree, Phil's got a mini, so that's always part of the fun. We take the mini to get the car, uh, to put the tree in, even though it's a smaller car, because it just adds to the whole, like, novelty of the afternoon. And um, we got back and we put in the tree up and we were decorating it. And, you know, it felt like a really special moment anyway, because it might not have been. And he looked at me and he said, you know, we still would have done this. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He said, you know, he said, I would have just sat you there. He said, and I would have let you watch me do this. And I knew then that he meant if I had have been brain damaged by what happened. And I knew he meant it. And if I didn't know he was a keeper already, it was like that moment where I was just like, this is absolutely why I married you. Because I knew no matter what that day had brought, if circumstances had have been different, he would have stepped up and done what he needed to do he's yeah he's been absolutely 
incredible. It's oh, amazing. Yeah, it's and it's amazing to see that love from because I've met Phil and know him now as a, as a friend and he's um, he is a truly special guy. Yeah. Uh, but sure. also just yeah, just to be able to reflect together and I think that that unites you and that unique perspective Zoe you just talked about there just you know no matter how difficult and you have had difficult days since yeah. it's not it's certainly not been no. an easy ride and um, but that reframing uh, and that gracious that practicing that sort of gracious kind of and that grateful mindset is is powerful really and really I think something I get to see on a daily basis is, is the removal of life and 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 and, and that irreversible mm. removal. You know, the, we can't really, the techniques that we use don't get people back to life uh, sometimes, and a lot of the time, as you said, eight point four percent, it make a meaningful um, outcome, so they get discharged from hospital with the, their brain intact and their yeah. faculties intact. Um, so, you know, it's practicing that grateful mindset is a fantastic place to be really because like you said it's been tough for I think it's tough for anyone mm. coming back from such a such a horrific event um, I mean I have been so fortunate in the way that I am able to pretty much live my life as I did before there are no restrictions on me really I can't do a skydive and um, my cardiologist has said no to taking part in competitive sport but um, but but fortunately everything that I hoped and dreamed for my future is actually still very much there for the for the taking and I can still drink alcohol yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which um which actually during those early weeks um I was <laughs> ridiculously I was worried that I wouldn't be able to enjoy my life in quite the same way that I had before and you know everything in moderation but I can still pretty much live my life as I did which is amazing yeah. given what happened that day and and you know and and knowing like other stories you know uh, of so many positive things have come out of this for me and, and one of them has been actually doing a bit of work with London's Air Ambulance to try and highlight the incredible work that they do because they're a charity and not enough people I think know that and um, but also um, along the way I've met some other incredible patients, ex-patients of London's Air Ambulance that they've treated and actually hearing some of their stories and the battles that they have faced in rehabilitating themselves, their lives, you know, learning to walk again, um, you know, learning to talk again, yeah. like how, how to, like through brain injuries, you know, just actually forgetting every single thing that to me is just so natural um, and makes my life what it is you know I've had to wake up and find my energy again and a positive mindset to kind of look forward and not look back but um, I have had a much easier journey um, than so many others and um, so I think you know for that reason more than anything um, that's why I kind of need to keep going in the direction that I'm going and have such a positive outlook on what's happened and try and use my story in a positive way by highlighting the need for CPR, people to, you know, to know how to actually use that life-saving skill because 
quite embarrassingly, before what happened to me, I'd never had any first aid training. I'd actually refused it because I was very squeamish with blood. The sight of someone else's blood would make me either want to vomit or, or pass out. And um, when I found out about all the people that helped me that day, I just it kind of like just hit me like this is what first aid training is. It's not about putting a plaster on a cut. It's about being able to save somebody's life. Why would you not do that? And all my family are, are first aid trained now. Um, but incredibly, and one of the things actually that I've really wanted um, and, and have tried to help push for is the rolling out of um, CPR training to kids at school and the announcement um, at the beginning of the year from Damien Hines, the education secretary, that that will now happen, you know, in 2020, by the t they're going to start rolling it out and by the time um, teenagers leave secondary school they will have had that training is just incredible because I know it really will help to, to save lives. In countries where they're doing this already the survival rates have improved by double and um, so yeah it's it, it's just incredible to, to think that we're so much further forward actually than five and five and a half years ago and anything that I can try and do in a positive way to um, add my, my voice to the importance of that and also the importance of um, you know defibrillators trying to break the fear of using them um, and not needing to know how to use them because if you switch it on it will tell you what to do I never knew that before and you know just the thought that you know your sister-in-law Catherine could have been helped actually if somebody had switched that to fibrillator on but probably didn't because everybody there thought that they needed to know how to use it and so so didn't um yeah I, anything that i can i can do to try and help do that is really important mm. to me and adds to the um the journey really yeah absolutely and i think you're a fantastic advocate um for that zoe just just your story but also consequently how you've chosen to live your life through through that unique perspective I think is a fantastic advocate and it joins the dots I think for a lot of people um, and as you said it's now hopefully going to be part of the national curriculum for schools which I think is as you said just absolutely vital um, to build that muscle memory so that people can like you say yeah. step up in the moment yeah. and know know what to do but one thing I, I do love and appreciate because I've got to know you and your family over the last five and a half years is just how loving your mum and dad and supportive your mum and dad have been towards you from the point of let's say sleeping at the end of your bed for yeah. two weeks yeah. to consistently being you know your biggest supporters and fans and and just uh, and you're and just encouraging you supporting you through the whole process and that's that's amazing and I think I think you and I as a I've got a very similar family that we, that can't be taken for granted either and hopefully we can embody that yeah. to the next generation yeah. and yeah. model that to the next generation that that support that regardless of what happens that they will be there with you through thick and thin and could not have got through it actually without especially my mom I mean she's just been absolutely incredible she's been a real rock actually through throughout everything that happened you know to those early days when I first opened my eyes to even now you know she um she comes to every hospital appointment with me um 
I think she thinks she knows enough now to be a cardiologist herself. <laughs> she quite prides herself on her expert knowledge, but um, but no, she's been absolutely she's been absolutely amazing. And I'm smiling, so I'm remembering a moment when I had to shower at Hammersmith, and um, she came in to shower with me, and I felt a little bit faint in the shower, and Mum had pretty much like stripped down to her undies as well to to help me shower, and. Um, in the moment of me saying, Mum, I feel a little bit faint. She did not hesitate. She ran down that corridor <laughs> in mismatching underwear <laughs> to, um, to get help, um, which, you know, any mum would going do. The extra which mile. any mum would do, exactly, but yeah, she, but exactly. she, she really did. And she's just, yeah, she's just been absolutely amazing. She phones me every morning, um, you know, before work, and I speak to her after work, and it's always, how are you? How did you sleep? Are you okay today? And, you know, this is five and a half years on. And if she sees um, an ambulance, paramedic staff treating someone, sees the air ambulance helicopter, even though the helicopter didn't come to me, it was a PRU car, but she will phone me and say, I just needed to speak to you and hear your voice, because I can. Um, and I'm so, yeah, I'm so grateful to well for that and, and to have had her to have had her support really yes. the support of my family has really meant meant a lot and Phil's family too actually you know they've, they've been I mean they are just so amazing anyway but during that early rehabilitation I am um, I couldn't walk very far um, when I first came home from hospital Phil was walking me um, at first to the end of the road and then to the end of the next road and I literally it was like I'd aged 50 years I was just taking pigeon steps and um, sort of two weeks later he then had to go back to work um, and my parents had a booked holiday and I was like I absolutely want you to go on holiday I do not want you for any reason not to have the holiday they needed it after all that had happened and um, so I arranged to go and stay at Phil's parents um, and Fortunately, his dad's retired, so um, yeah, his dad pretty much was like looking after me, his mum and his dad, but you know, during the day, his dad, and it was just, yeah, it was just so, like I said, I just look back on those times with such fond memories, really, because of the outpouring of love and support that I, I got from everybody that I came into contact with, and it really helped my, my recovery. So that's absolutely fantastic, and just really good to, to hear you recital of, of, of everyone, because it's not just the event, you're right, it's after the event, yeah, and it's all you. the support in, 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 every, in every way. And um, so, just, uh, just in culmination, really, sort of in conclusion, just, um, and just for the benefit of everyone who's listening, really, so what, what, what are you doing now? What's your sort of line of work now, and what, what are you involved with? Yeah. So I actually left the police um, last year after 11 years of, of working there. I'd been the executive assistant to the Chief Constable of Hertfordshire, as you know. But um, yeah, last year I kind of made the tough decision to, um, to move on. And I am now working with the Royal Veterinary College and supporting the principal there. And it's an absolutely incredible organisation to work for. They're such a fantastic um, institution and actually... Um, in the last year, I think working in, because let's face it, you know, policing's going through hard times at the moment. Um, morale's very low, police officers are beat up, they're not rewarded enough for the work that they do do. And so stepping into an environment um, that is so positive and where, you know, people are just so passionate and really want to make a difference and are striving to make a difference, not only in those that they're sort of teaching and training, but also. 
um, you know, on a research level, um, is really inspiring actually. And I'm so blessed to have an incredible boss. He's absolutely great. Even this morning, he texted me to say, you know, like good luck with the podcast. So it's um, it's fantastic actually having someone who's very understanding of what my journey has been and also very supportive of what I'm trying to do actually. Um, so yeah, life is life is really life is really good. Mm, brilliant, Zoe. Zoe, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank and you. I would, you know, um, look forward to celebrating far more moments with you and Phil Most in, definitely. In, in your life. But um, and just to hear your story, and it just it just illustrates to me just why we join, why we are paramedics, doctors, or nurses. You know, why we even do healthcare in the first place to, to, to meet people like you. So it just, it just, yeah, it's just a constant, you're a constant blessing to, to, to me and to other people. So, mm. but yeah, and just thank you for your honesty because it's been really, uh, it's just really powerful just talking about this stuff. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to come on and, and share my story. And um, gosh, you know, just thank you for you. Like, I mean, as long as we're friends, I'm always going to say it and you're always going to tell me that I don't need to, but you know, I cannot thank you enough for what you did that day because if you had not been there, the outcome might not have been the same and this beautiful life that I'm living might not, might not have been possible and I just feel so blessed to have you in my life and to have you as a friend, so thank you. Oh, pleasure, absolute pleasure, sorry, absolute, 100%. Um, so thank you for listening, guys, and um, we will be back with you again shortly with another podcast. I think we're going to continue this theme because I think it's powerful and I think it really illustrates to, 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 to me and to other people why we do this in the first place. But Zoe, thank you again, and, you. Um, and we'll catch you soon on the Pre-Hospital Care podcast. Thanks, guys. This has been the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network, hosted by Owen Walker and Rich McGear, to bring unique insights to paramedics and other emergency healthcare professionals wherever you are. If you like our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with a friend. Many thanks.